0: been all sweet people in the choir creating such a sweet spirit. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence in this place. We thank you for all that you're doing among us and in us. We pray for the word today, God. Let it land in our hearts and create fruit. In Jesus' name, bless the pastor. Amen. 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 Thank you. Ruth, thank you. Uh, Urbana is a great missions organization. They put on a really fantastic conference every year. And if you go on their website, they actually have a video where they show the history of Urbana as a, uh, as a missions organization. And just the, every, every imaginable minister that you've known uh, or heard of um, is, speaks at this conference. So it's a very, very neat opportunity. Um, you know, missions is, is, a, is such a wonderful Enterprise and when I was a kid, my my uh, aunt and uncle were missionaries in Quito, Ecuador. And when I was 14, I went down to visit them. And I had a little bit of Spanish. I knew a little bit of Spanish, um, but not not a lot. And um, I, I remember being introduced to some of the people in their congregation. And what I wanted to say to them was, "It's nice to meet you. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed. My Spanish is not that." good. That's what I wanted to say. Um, And so I said, uh, uh, mucho gusto. Nice to meet you. Uh, Estoy embarazada. Um, There's some Spanish speakers, I I see. Because the the word embarazada in Spanish, it looks like embarrassed. It looks like what you would say to say, I'm embarrassed. Uh, What it actually means is pregnant. Embarazada. (laughs) So, they were just a little confused when the 14-year-old kid says, Great to meet you. I'm pregnant, and my Spanish is not that great. Um, So, Missions is full of adventure and excitement. I I, I do want to say welcome to uh, Reverend Tiffany Jordan. She is here with Claude and Debbie Bennett from Chicago. Thank you for coming. It's really nice to see you. Um, So, we are right in the middle of a, a series... It's called Walking the Walk, the Call, the Challenge. Well, there we go. The Call, the Challenge, and the Adventure of Following Jesus. And each week for the last four or five weeks, and then we have a few more weeks going forward, we've been talking about a different attribute of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We spent a year in the book of Mark learning about who Jesus is, what he said, what he said he did, what he did do, and uh, who he said he was. And now we're spending several weeks just exploring how do we respond to that. If we're going to be followers of him, what does that mean? And so we've talked about prayer, we've talked about love, we've talked about faith, um, we've talked about the call and the commitment, and this week we are going to talk about basically the mission that he puts us on. Uh, We call this message pure and bright because he calls us, as you'll see in the passage that we're about to read, he calls us to be salt and light, and we're going to explore what does that mean when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Uh, And he does that in the context of an amazing passage that's very famous, and it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read through the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to pay special attention to the last um, few verses. So if you would turn in your Bibles, or you can read up here, Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 15. And then, by the way, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in this passage. He gathered not the whole multitudes, not the whole curious onlookers in the crowd. He, he gathered those who were following him, his disciples. He pulled them together and he said, uh, "Open his mouth and he taught them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And here's the part that we want to really focus on for today. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You... Do you need to preach a sermon after that? I mean, can you just say amen and let's have a prayer? Um, what's amazing about this passage, I and mean, there's a lot of things that are amazing about this passage, but what what is interesting there at the very end is he gives he gives Jesus gives these two identifying affirmations. It's not something he's asking us to do or commanding us to do, he's telling us who we are. He says, he doesn't say. Be the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And these two affirmations, if you look at them in the scripture, they're parallel, and underneath each one of them is a warning, okay? Here's an affirmation. You're the salt of the earth. But I just want you to know, if the salt doesn't have any flavor, if it doesn't have any savor, if it doesn't have any tang, what good is it? And then he says, You're the light of the world. But if, if that light is hidden, what good is it? Don't hide the light. So um, there are a few themes that I just want to explore uh, quickly today, um, in the next few minutes, that I, I just think that as followers of Jesus, those of us who are who are attempting or committed to or striving to be followers of Jesus, there are a few pieces in this scripture that I want to that I want to pull out. Um, the first The first sort of attribute, or the first sort of um, theme in this scripture is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are different in some way than others. We are different in some way than others. I just kind of like that picture. This guy's just. um, Everybody likes to fit in. Right. Nobody likes to be different. You don't like to walk in somewhere and go, ah, I'm the only one that's, you know, wearing a vest, for example. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, you know, you like to go somewhere you like to fit in. When I was in college, I was a religious studies major. And one of the things that I like to do is, is that I, I would go into different places of worship, different, you know, completely different religions and different ideas. And and I would go and I would sit in um, uh, and I remember one time there was, a, there was a synagogue near my house, Hillel Synagogue, and this was in Mizzou. And uh, there was a synagogue there, and I thought, you know what, I'll come a few minutes late, I'll just slip in the back and I'll just observe and just see what, what this service is like. So that's what I did. Um, but rather than sort of just slide in and like nobody noticed, I, sli- I walked in the back door, and literally every head turned. Okay? Why? I'll tell you why. Because there were nine people in that congregation. Nine, okay? So first of all, it's small. But second of all, and more importantly, for this particular synagogue, for them to be able to open the Torah, roll open the the scroll, they needed a quorum of ten people. So when I walked in, everybody's like, number ten is here. We can have church. We can have synagogue. So... And I'm going, hey, hi, everyone. And I, I remember this very distinctly. The rabbi literally comes off of the stage, runs back, comes up to me. And I, I'm thinking, you know, he's just going to greet me or whatever. And he says, you are Jewish, right? And I go, um, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. He turns around. He goes, he's not Jewish. And everybody's like, oh, man, are you serious? We can't. Not, you know, a Gentile doesn't make a quorum. We can't. So, so, so now we're all sitting there and everyone is kind of like looking at me like, I can't believe you're not Jewish, man. I mean, we could, we could open the Torah if you would just be Jewish. And you're just sitting there, a Gentile. And then what was, what was really interesting was shortly after that, like maybe two or three minutes after that, so there, there was some discussion. You know, it was very loose. It was very free-floating free because we couldn't, we couldn't do the thing. But, so a few minutes after that, a woman walks in the door. And half of the congregation went, okay, great, we've got a quorum. And half of them said, no, because a woman doesn't count for a quorum. Yeah, they had different views about whether a woman counted as a quorum. So then they started to argue amongst themselves. And the Gentile just sat back and just watched. Uh, and what was interesting is that the, the, the more strict of them, the ones that thought, well, you know, a woman doesn't count for a quorum, were also the ones who most desperately wanted to open the Torah. So they're like, okay, twist my arm. Okay, I, I don't agree with you, but okay. So anyway, they opened the Torah and they had service. And it was very interesting. But we don't like to, there's a, a long way for a ham sandwich, as my wife would say. But we don't like to, we don't like to stick out, right? We like to fit in. Jesus is calling us here as a follower of Christ. He's calling us to be unique and distinct and different from others. How? Is he calling us to dress differently? Is he calling us to talk differently? Are we supposed to use King James English when we refer to one another? Thouest and thyest? No. Uh, does he want us to make sure that we have a Christian bumper sticker? It's good if you do. It's fine if you do. But that's not what he's saying. He wants us to be different. How? We are different because of the way we think. Romans twelve two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect remember the gospel is a countercultural revolutionary movement we don't just fit in we think differently we think differently because our affiliation and our ultimate allegiance is to a king and a kingdom that is beyond the kings and kingdoms of this world so we, when, when others retaliate, we forgive. That's what he's calling us to do. When others strive for fame, you strive to serve. When others seek to amass wealth for its own sake, we seek to amass it so that we can wisely steward it so that we can give it away. When others seek self-aggrandizement, you seek righteousness. When others hedge, we speak the truth. This is what we're called to do. I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but this is what Jesus is saying. When others hate their enemies, Christian, love your enemies. When others help those who, help, who can help them back, Jesus says, help the person who cannot do anything for you, expecting nothing in return. Um, when others take, you sacrifice. When others attack, you turn the other cheek. The, the, the world of the gospel is upside down, right? We become great by serving. Right. We instead of instead of, you know, pride cometh before a fall. um, And when we are meek, we inherit the earth. I mean, the whole thing that he's saying leading up to this is here's how you're different. You're reverse of what the expectations are in the world. There's a there's a there's a way that I want you to be in the world that is very different and distinct and salty and bright. Um 1 Peter 2.9 uh, uh, says, and I don't have that scripture on here, but it says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He's calling you to be different. So being different for the sake of being different is not all that great, right? How does he want you to be different? He wants you, and he uses this, this image, this metaphor of salt. He wants you to permeate and transform the world in which you live. You're not to be different just for the sake of being different. You're to be different to transform the world in which you're living. Um, what is this metaphor of salt? Uh, it's, it, it, you know, If I were to come to you today, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a great uh, compliment for me to come to you and say, Hey, man, I just want you to know... You are sodium chloride, man. Right? right? You are salt. That doesn't, that doesn't hit us. That doesn't make us go. That's not a very inspiring thing to say. But when Jesus said it at, in the first century, it meant something. And here's what it meant. Um, I want you to notice this. We get the word salary. Our word salary comes from the Latin salarium. The root word of salarium is sal, S-A-L, and that means salt. Because salt was a very, very important commodity at that time. It was a very, very expensive commodity. It was a very valuable commodity. And what he was saying is, you are the wealth of the world. You are highly valued. You are an extremely important, valuable commodity in this world. Um, Why? Why Why was salt so precious? Remember, this is when he's talking. When Jesus is talking, and, it, and it's good to go back and try to figure out, you know, these metaphors and these analogies that he's making in context, so that we can translate it to our day. When when in, when Jesus was talking, there was no refrigeration, there was no freezers, there were no freezers, there was no electricity. So the way people would keep food, I mean, it, it, and this could be a matter of life and death for people, because the way that they, they would preserve food is that they would take salt and they would rub it into the food and that would stop the food from decay that would preserve the food so if you are a first century shepherd and you're going to kill a lamb for your family or a couple of lambs for your family if you can't preserve that food for when the drought comes or when the downtime happens then you're going to be in, in big trouble and so Jesus said you know that, that's why salt was so precious because it was life and death and so Jesus is saying I want you to permeate your society, your culture, your community, and I want you when that commu- when that society and that community is on a uh, is on a slope of atrophy and decay, I want you to be rubbed into there, and I want you to transform, permeate, and redeem that culture, redeem that world that you are a part of. He doesn't want you to remain in the salt. That a lot of Christians. We're salt, right? We're the salt of the earth. Let's all get together in the salt shaker and hang out, right? The, the salt in the salt shaker does nobody any good. He wants us out there integrated into our world, in our community, working hand in hand with people who may not look like us, may not talk like us, may not think like us, but we're in there being salt. We're in there rubbing, it in, r- rubbing into our community and being a, 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 pres- a preservative right to redeem the world to redeem the culture um when when life and and you know we tend as humans we tend if we don't if, if we're not activated we tend to atrophy right if you don't actively use your muscles they just kind of get weaker everything in life tends towards decay and atrophy and Jesus is using this metaphor to say I don't want the world to decay. I'm putting you in the world so that you can redeem it and restore it and transform it and make it better. One thing I love about our church being right here in the heart of the Del Mar Loop in the Tivoli is that we're, you know, and I, and I'm, it's great to have church buildings too, but it's, it's just cool for us, I think, to be right in the middle of the loop in a movie theater where we're saying, hey, we are Christians, we're followers of Jesus, but we're just right here in the middle of it. We're just right here in the middle of our community. And we're here, we're just going gonna to dig in, and we're going to do what we can to make this a better place, to, make, to transform this world. Um, Jesus says, I want you to be the vanguards, the harbingers of peace and love. I want you to be the leaders of long-suffering and kindness and meekness and gentleness and patience. I want you to be out there transforming your world. You are the salt of the earth. How do we do that? Where do we start? We can start in our home. We can start in our relationships. We can start in our self. You know, when when we have something atrophying, decaying, dying inside of us, this is when we say, "Wait a minute, I'm salt." All right, I'm salt. I might need another brother or sister to come along and help rub rub against me to make me remember I need to change. Right? I've got, and I, I've got. Um, some guys, and, and I, I strongly recommend this to, to, to whoever, to everyone. But I've got some guys in my life that are my accountab- what I call my accountability partners. All right? These guys are in my world. They know my business. I know their business. They're Christian guys. They're elders at other churches. And we get together every couple of weeks and we just say, okay, here's what's going on in my life. Here's the stuff that I need prayer for. I need to work on this. I'm I'm not doing great in this area. Or I'm doing okay in this area, but I could use some help. You know what I mean? I mean, if we don't have that, then we will slowly atrophy. Those things, those boundaries that we put up, those can kind of crumble. You know, we need each other to build each other up, to stir each other up to good works so that we can go out into the world and be salt to people who are not followers. Um, I'll just give you one quick example Um, and and this is just a business example. This isn't a, this isn't a spiritual example, but has anybody ever had Domino's pizza? Domino's? Yeah. Well, in, in, in 2009, there was a survey conducted and Domino's pizza where they asked people, you know, who's, whose pizza do you like the best and who's do you like the least? And I was surprised that Emo's wasn't number one. I'm like really bummed out because I used to be, yeah, I used to be a pizza delivery boy for them. But anyway, um, Domino's was at the very last of the list, tied with Chuck E. Cheese. Um, the comments about it, the, the number one comment that they would get about Domino's in 2009 was that the crust tasted indistinguishable from the box in which it was served. Um, so, so they hired a guy, J. Patrick Doyle, who came in and he said, it, rather than you know, deny, rather than hide, rather than obfuscate, rather than sort of skirt the issue... He reached out and said, "What's wrong with our pizza?" And he got a lot of emails. They got a lot of emails, and they started revising and changing and fixing the problem. And in 2009, it went from Domino's went from a stock low in 2009. By 2011, they they did a transformation, what they called from the crust up. They changed the crust, they changed the sauce, they changed the cheese, they changed the toppings, they changed it all. I think they left the box alone. But they went from a stock low in 2009 to a 233% stock jump by late 2011. Because somebody was willing to say, hey, we're on a downward slump. We're on a downward slide. We need some transformation. We need to change something, right? Jesus is calling you and me to be harbingers of change. He's calling us to be salt in the earth, not set apart in the earth to change it. Um, And he asked this question, but if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it, right? How does salt lose its saltiness? This is very interesting. Because salt is made of sodium chloride. It's a chemical compound. It's a stable compound. It doesn't just not be salty anymore. The way salt loses its saltiness is when it is mixed with non-salt. When it is mixed with other impurities that make it not salty anymore. First century Jews got their salt from the Dead Sea. The rain would come. The floods would rise. The Dead Sea is a quarter salt. Then when the waters would go down... There would be salt. Um, there would be salt residue along the edge of the of the of the water, and sometimes when they would be digging up that residue, they'd be digging up all kinds of other impurities. And they didn't have refineries, so you might get a bag of salt that had a little bit of salt and a bunch of dirt and a bunch of junk and a bunch of rocks. And Jesus is saying, "Hey, when you let a little bit of greed, when you let a little bit of of hate, when you let a little bit of lust, when you let a little bit, when you when you're letting these little bit of sins creep into your life, you're losing your saltiness, man. Okay. Get that out, and let's be pure. Let's be pure salt, so that we can have that, we can have that flavor. We can bring back that preservative. We can be that 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 juice for our world, for our society. Amen. Amen. I'm making myself hungry with these metaphors. Amen. Um, and finally, he's calling us to illuminate. He says, you are the light of the world. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, Jameson, several you know, several weeks ago, Jameson started waking up in the middle of the night, uh, and he would just start crying in the middle of the night. He's, he's our almost four-year-old son. Start crying in the middle of the night, um, and then sometimes come in, to our room and wake us up. And we discovered that, well, and, and he was having dreams, he was having bad dreams, and he was frightened, and we discovered that uh, he was afraid of the dark. Uh, He had never never expressed that before, but he, he started saying, hey, I'm afraid of the dark. And that makes sense. You know, kids are afraid of the dark. One thing, we're afraid of the dark for good reason, by instinct, because sometimes there's things in the dark that we can't see, and they're dangerous, and we need to be able to see them. But sometimes we're afraid of the dark... Because we're imagining that something is there, and in fact it's not. And when the light comes on, it exposes both that which is dangerous and that which is in our mind that we think is dangerous that isn't real, right? So what we did, someone and so we were <laughs> kind of leaving the door cracked and trying to leave the the, uh, the shade open a little bit so the light from the outside could come in. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, "Hey, why don't you get him a nightlight?" And I was like, "Man, that's genius." Uh, so we got him a nightlight. And it's completely alleviated the problem. The light drives out the darkness. Now he can look around and he can see. Oh, okay, that, that's not a monster over there on the wall. There's no, there's no monster there, right? Light and darkness are incompatible. And light just makes darkness go away. Um, Jesus, remember, throughout the scriptures says, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Yes. I'm the light of yes. the world, yes. right? And now he's turning to his disciples and he's saying, you are the light of the world. Yes. Why? Because my light is in you. Yes. Don't hide that light. Do not hide that light. Don't put it under a basket. Don't put it under a bushel. Let it shine. Let it shine. Um, C.S. Lewis says that The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs, in other words, to make them like Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. He became man to transform us into the image of him so that we can be like Christ. Christ to our world. Now, when, when I say let your light shine, that doesn't mean you need to, you know, get a bullhorn and start, you know, turn or burn preaching on the street. What it means is you want to live such a life in your word and your deed that people go, man, there is something unique, something different, something powerful about that person. And notice that the, the context in which he says it, he, he says, you know, the, the, the meek shall inherit the earth. And he goes down this list and then he talks about when you are suffering, when you are challenged, rejoice, rejoice. Because part of being a light is not just being joyful in the good times. It's when you are struggling. And there are challenges, and there's hurt, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's breaches in relationships, and things aren't going right, and things are hurting you. When you are in that state, and yet there's still a glowing ember of peace and hope and trust in God, that's when people go, man, there is something different about that person. I want to glorify whoever it is that's in that person's heart. That person must somehow have a connection with God that I don't have. Because if I was going through that, I couldn't be joyful. So he's calling us to rejoice in our struggles. Rejoice in our pain. I want to try just a little experiment here, okay? Just to, just to give you a visual image of what we're talking about. Now, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try it. Pete, can you turn out the lights? Pete is outside the door. There they go. Get out your, uh, here's something I won't say very often. Get out your cell phone. You won't hear me say this very often at church. Get out your cell phone if you got it and turn it on. And look around. This is what he's calling us to do. This is what he's calling us to be. Is that cool? Okay, thanks, Pete. You can... Okay, thanks, Pete. You can turn it back on. <laughs> okay, now don't start texting. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus is saying the implication of this parable is that there's a darkness in the world and that people don't see the light. And that as Christians, we do have, as followers of Christ, we have a hope, we have a joy, we have a confidence, we have an assurance that will bring light to others. And that's not just forced good works. That's not just, mm, i got to try to make it things work. No, it's, it's developing this light inside of you. It's opening that, breaking open that light internally. Letting that light shine in your own life. And in your own relationships, in the way you relate to your friends and your colleagues at work, to your family, to your wife, to your husband, to your kids. Can you just let that sort of emanate out from you? And that, Jesus says, is what will transform and completely change our world. It will completely turn our world upside down. You know, Jesus is not calling us to be escapists. He doesn't want a bunch of lights in a box with a dark world outside, he's calling us to be lights in this world to transform this world with our light want I want to ask us today why can't the church be the leader in culture? Why can't the church be the leader in art and literature and science and and, and why and in, in media and government? why can't the church be at the forefront we are the light we can bring light to these various enterprises why not you know I, I feel like there have been years where much of the church has been sort of dragging its tail and kind of back behind everything else you know got it got its heels dug in and burrowed down in some traditions and some ideas and some thoughts Why can't the church be out front and be the vanguard and be leading people and be bringing light so that the world can look at us and go, I don't know if I believe exactly like them or I'm not sure if I'm completely theologically aligned with them, but man, there's something powerful about what they're doing and saying. I don't know why we couldn't do that. Let's do that, right? Can we be that? Let's be the moral exemplars to our colleagues and peers. Let's tackle disease and injustice and poverty and hunger. Let's share the gift of God's goodness and grace with our friends in a way that they in a way that they can receive. Let's do it, you know, you don't take advice from somebody who you don't appreciate or respect, right? And so when you become someone who has that level of authority in somebody else's life where they start to say, actually I'd be interested to know why you think that way or how you do that or what you believe because there's something about you that i'm attracted to there's a light that i'm being drawn to let's share let's share who we are with others um let's let the transforming power of the holy spirit which is inside us change us from the inside out until we literally overflow with god's goodness and grace and mercy amen I'm just going to end here very quickly with an email that I received this week um, about this issue. Uh, And it says, um, an authentic, real relationship with God is what draws people to Christ. People aren't looking for a slick gospel presentation. They're looking for real hope. Only God can give them that. And one of the ways He does it is through His Spirit which is alive this moment in me. That spirit, when not quenched by my exhaustion in the rat race or my distraction with Facebook or my desperate need to be approved of by others, is enough. It is Christ himself. Jesus says, you are the light because I am the light and you're following me. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let me just challenge all of us today. This week as we interact with all of the people around us, think of yourself as the vanguard of Christ, as the emissary of Jesus, as his disciple who is being sent out into the world to love, to transform, to have peace, to bring peace, to bring justice, to bring mercy, to bring love. Think of yourself as being on a mission, on a mission this week In all of your interactions, now it's not you're not going to be perfect, but but just think, orient your mind, be transformed in your mind, to think of yourself as an emissary of Christ. See if that doesn't change the way you interact with your kids and your wife and your friends and your colleagues and your, you know, your family and your co-workers. Think, just just try it this week, right? And let's just slowly, day by day, person by person, moment by moment, transform the world. That God has given us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.